Good morning. Scripture reading today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Good morning. Well, we are currently in our sermon series called Practical Transformation. And we're doing something very specific in this sermon series. What what we're doing, actually, is we're walking through our our liturgy that we do every week, all the different elements that make up our worship service. And what we're doing is we're, we're kind of isolating each element, and we're diving deep on them. And we're doing this purposefully. It's easy to come to church, and I, I know this, every week to, to recite the prayers, to hear the confession and the assurance of pardon, come to the table, even to hear the word preached and forget why we do these things. But the whole point of this series that we are in is this. We do them because we believe that Jesus Christ uses and has ordained every part of our service to transform us. And each week, as God calls us into worship, we enter into the story of the gospel. And through doing that, as we walk through that story, Christ meets us and he transforms us. But not just in the service, but also as we go out into the world and in our everyday lives. So the first week, Todd looked at the call to worship and how God's sovereignty, his power, and his invitation to worship him uh, transforms us into people that rely on him every day. And that uh, are reminded of that freeing nature of his invitation to praise and worship him. And then last week we talked about the confession and, and the assurance of pardon. And how as Christians we are reminded each and every week that a life of repentance is one that we're called to. Because we both know that we are broken and sinful and yet saved by Jesus Christ. So this week, flowing out of that idea, we, we confess our sins and we're reminded of God's goodness and grace And we're going to see that now we can embrace peace. And not just peace with ourselves, though that's certainly true, but also with God and with one another and also with the world. Um, In uh, 1914, um, the world was 
thrown into chaos. Um, the First World War started um, about halfway through the year. And because of the advancements in technology and in warfare and in weaponry, um, the, the stakes and kind of um, the fallout of this war were growing exponentially as the months went by. And about um, six months into the war, uh, the British um, and the German soldiers were on the Western Front fighting each other in trenches. And they were separated in uh, kind of by this middle ground called no man's land. And I just want you guys to think for a second about um, these soldiers were mostly young men, boys with families, some with um, wives at home and kids at home and jobs and dreams. And I just I, I was thinking about them this week in their trenches with a nameless, faceless opponent across from them that they were shooting at, trying to kill. War is conflict. War is combative. War is, um, in a lot of ways, and we know this, the opposite of peace, right? Well, imagine um, one soldier, young man, um, starts singing a tune, right? He starts singing a tune. It's a familiar one. And his fellow soldiers look at him, and they start singing the tune together too. Um, and they all start singing. Then imagine being the enemy soldiers on the other side and you hear this tune and you recognize it, though you don't recognize the words. And one man starts to sing it on his side. And then all of them across no man's land in their trenches are singing the same song together. And then imagine one soldier lifting his head up really ever so slightly and looking out across and when no gunshots come, he lifts his hat higher, almost in the sign of peace, and he stands up, and he walks out of his trench slowly, and he begins to walk towards no man's land. Then imagine all his soldiers standing up to him, and them start walking, and as they're singing together, and then the enemy soldiers, they do the same thing, they stand up, and these soldiers meet together in the middle, you see, there was going to be no fighting on this one specific day. It was Christmas Day. And on Christmas Day, there's peace. And what I, I love about this story is that um, these guys, they could have gotten a, uh, their generals could have talked to each other and said, hey, we're going to have a ceasefire today. Let's do no conflict. It's Christmas Day. Let's celebrate it in our own ways. We'll stay in our trenches. You guys stay in your trenches. No, no, no fighting. We'll do a ceasefire on Christmas. But that's not what happened. Organically, these guys stood up and they met in the middle, these nameless, faceless enemies, and they started doing something. They played soccer matches together. Uh, there's a story that there was an amateur barber there. He was cutting hair on both sides. Uh, there are people that were uh, exchanging uh, buttons off of their jackets. Uh, some guy wrote home and said that he got to try German tobacco for the first time because he got some from a German soldier. They spent the whole day, and actually a couple days after in some parts of the Western Front, together, hanging out, fellowshipping, actually spending time together. I love that picture 
that under Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, salvation come to the world, these enemies didn't just put down their guns. They didn't just cease firing at each other. They actually met and spent time together. We look often at peace as the absence of conflict. We think peace is a passive thing, a ceasefire. But peace, and this is very important, it's not just the absence of conflict. What those men did on that battlefield was, was not ceasefire, but they actively engaged in peace by spending time together, getting to know each other, fellowshipping together. This is a picture of biblical peace. Biblical peace is different than how we typically view peace. And the peace of the Bible is more about the idea of wholeness. It's about flourishing. And this idea of shalom has a a connotation also of righteousness and justice. And how these ideas all can't be separated from each other. The absence of conflict is only the beginning of what peace means. And this idea uh, of peace that we're going to talk about today is tied directly to creation. And it's tied to creation because it's, it's tied to how the world was always meant to be before the mark of sin. So when man walked on this earth without um, shame and without sin, freely with God, peace is always what we were intended to be and what this world was intended to be. Wholeness, righteous, justice, politically, socially, prosperity and flourishing for all of creation. And that's what the picture of what these soldiers did on that day. But I want you guys to think about this. Um, This is what we do every week when we pass the peace. We're not uh, literally at war with one another, but because of the sin in our hearts, we are inclined to hostility towards one another. Sin breaks things, just like it broke the shalom and the garden Sin also causes division on wholeness and on health today. It's in direct opposition to godly peace. And so if that's true, and think about this, if that's true, it puts us, who are willful sinners, in direct opposition to God and to one another. So what do we do with that? What, what do we do with that? Well, well, this is the hope of the gospel, is that even in our rebellion, Christ still died for us. And because of this, and and kind of the outworking of that idea is that we can have peace. We do have peace. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just declare a ceasefire with us. He claims us as his own people. He crosses no man's land. He pulls us out from our trenches that we are hiding behind and claims us as our own, as his own, despite our sin. And there he gives us peace. And as God's people, it is our call. And this is what we're talking about today. We must embrace this godly peace. And this is what that passage in Ephesians is talking about. Um, and, and in verses 14 to 18, in low, Paul reminds uh, the Jews and the Gentiles who hated each other, who were in conflict with one another, who were hostile to one another, to be at peace. If you look through verses 14 through 16, he says peace over and over and over again. But if you look at it too, and and I'm not going to read them because I'll read them in a sec. um, He ties peace directly to reconciliation. 
And the idea of reconciliation is, uh, the, the definition online is to restore friendly relationships between. To cause to coexist in harmony, to make or show to be compatible. You see, reconciliation and peace are intertwined and inseparable. So today, what we're going to uh, see is that peace is only found in the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at three different ways this is true. So we must embrace godly peace through Jesus Christ. And we can do that first because Christ has reconciled us to God through the cross. Second, he's reconciled us to one another through the cross. And third, he's reconciled us to the world through the cross. But pray with me really quick. God, um, in the chaos of this morning, um, of Sunday morning and getting um, kids to church and getting up out of bed and getting dressed and ready, um, God, we know that you're here. We know that you meet us in this place. And God, we know that in you we find perfect peace. So um, as we go through this passage, remind us of that. Um, meet us here, teach us, um, and help transform our hearts and the wholeness that comes from your peace. So in your name we pray. Amen. So first, we can have peace with God because we've been reconciled to him through the cross of Jesus. Um. When we start talking about this idea of peace, the place we have to start is whether or not we personally are at peace with God himself. If we think about how we were made in God's image, but also the rebellion that is indicative of our heart from birth, we know two things. We know one, that God loves us, but two, that every part of us is inclined to rebellion in opposition to God. It's just part of who we are. And this is what Paul's getting at here in Ephesians. Uh, he says this, at one time you were uh, the Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise. And then he really hits them with it. He says, having no hope and without God in the world. So the covenant sign of God's people, God's chosen people was circumcision. And Paul names that to remind the Gentiles that they were not God's people. They were separated from him, alienated from the commonwealth, strangers to the promise. These are all very alienating words separated from God because of their sin, and there's nothing they could do to gain access to him. And this is why he goes as far to say that they had literally no hope in the world. They were hopeless. But Paul doesn't leave them there. And us, and, and we know this too, as similar to the Gentiles, we too were without hope in our sin and in our rebellion. But Paul reminds us of the truth of the gospel. He says in 13, this is where the reconciliation piece starts. He says, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Christ Jesus, those of us who were far off without hope and peace have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been given a gift, which is the salvation that comes from the gospel through the reconciliation of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to God through Jesus. 
One, one thing that I, um, I worry about us at times is this. I think we often think about God's love for us. I think we think often about our sinfulness in Christ. Um, sorry, apart from Christ. I think we often think about our grace that we find in Jesus. But I wonder if we miss this piece of reconciliation and peace, shalom, between us and God. Here's why. I feel like, and I, and I could be wrong here, um, that almost all of us in this room do not experience personal peace on a daily basis. And I would go as far to assume that many of us do not experience peace with God on a daily basis. Um, all of us are looking for peace. But we aren't finding it often. The difficulty that comes from suffering and loss, the everyday anxieties and brokenness that uh, are plaguing our internal hearts and our thoughts. What we must realize is that we will never experience peace personally until we experience peace with God first. We will never have that peace that we're looking for in our own hearts, in our own lives, until we experience it with God. So why do we not? And I thought about, um, I thought about this for a long time this week. Why do I not experience peace with God? And you know, the first place that I went to when I thought about it was shame. It was, well, you should have experienced peace with God, but you don't. So why don't you? Why? You're a pastor. You should feel like you and God are great. Why don't you? And I thought, I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm not a good enough pastor. Because me and him should have this thing down. But we don't. Maybe you're in that same boat. I think a lot of us think of peace with God as something that we can grasp. That we can attain. That it's something that we can work hard enough, go to church enough, do enough stuff so that we'll feel right with him and him with us. There might be some of you this morning that think that that peace, that wholeness in your relationship with God is not something you deserve. That, that you're not good enough or what you've done in the past marks you so much that you can never be right with God. But what I want to say to us this morning is that God's peace breaks shame if we let it. Shame is in direct opposition to peace. But if you are here this morning and you don't experience God's peace uh, and, and you're like me and you think it's something you have to gain, to achieve, or to grasp, here's what I want to remind you this morning. God's peace is a gift to us, given to us through the reconciliation of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is a gift that has been both spoken over us, it's been um, given to us, empowered through the Holy Spirit. It's something that was, uh, drove Jesus to the cross so that we could experience it. We can have that wholeness and that peace with Jesus in relationship if we just accept it. You know, this is why Paul says that uh, we were dead in our trespasses but made alive in Christ. We were less than whole, so much so that we were dead. But through the cross, Christ 
has made us whole again. He's made us alive. That's not something we could have ever done. Dead people don't get up and walk. Something else has to make them whole again. There's only one thing that can do it. But this is why we pass the peace after the confession sequence. Right? So we come before God individually and privately and we confess the sins we know that we've committed. And then we're reminded that no matter what, Christ still died for us. And He still rose again and beat the power of sin. And so that peace flows directly from that grace that we experience in the assurance of pardon. Those two things are inextricably linked. We confess our brokenness. We're reminded of His grace and goodness. And then we say we are at peace with God. What a gift that is. That is not something we achieve. It's a gift we experience. The application for us this morning is simple. Remember this. You have been bought with a price. Now receive the gift of God's peace between you and Him this morning. And maybe you'll find that peace you're looking for personally. This brings us to our second point. So we've seen that we must embrace God's peace in in every facet of our lives. And we can do that because Christ reconciles us to God. Now we're going to see that we can do that because Christ reconciles us to one another. So just as we are reconciled to God and we can embrace uh, embrace peace with God and Him uh, and ourselves, it's because we have peace with God that we can now have peace with one another. So just as the peace of God flows out of the grace, so too does it flow to one another from that same grace. Simply put, we can only have peace with one another if we have peace with God. Truly. So this is why he says uh, in verse 14 through 16, he says this, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So, uh, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, before Christ, there was a a vast dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles in every possible way, socioeconomically, culturally, ethnically. uh, They were opposed to one another. Like I said earlier, they hated each other. But Paul's reminding them that now, through Christ's body being broken for them, that dividing wall of hostility is broken. It's gone. Christ allowed himself to be broken so that the wall of opposition between them two could be broken. Think about it this way. Christ, too, allowed his body to be broken so that the walls that divide us could also be broken. One thing that we, uh, I mentioned is that the idea of peace or shalom is wholeness and flourishing. And Paul says in verse 14 that Christ himself is our peace. He didn't just uh, uh, break the dividing wall between one another and then leave us to figure it out on our own and just said, figure it out. Instead, Christ gave himself to be our peace. So to unite us together under his perfect shalom, this means something important. This means that Christ in his person is the wholeness and flourishing that we are looking for. For us to move towards one another in this, we must be united under something. 
We must be united under the one who is the embodiment of Shalom himself. It is Christ who brings us together in harmony. And then, and then, something very special happens. Verse 17 says that Jesus came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What Paul is getting at here is that no matter how far away or close someone is, whether you know them or not, whether they're strangers to one another, whether they come from completely different backgrounds, ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses, personality difference, genders, if you proclaim Christ and put your faith in him, you will and can be brought near to one another. We are united in his peace. And this way, if you, if you think about it from a different angle, this means that the peace of Christ is the great equalizer for all of us that profess faith in Jesus. This is why it says in 19, you are no longer strangers. So, so he kind of, it's really cool how Paul does this. He separates them and reminds them of their differences and of their separations and, and what made them hostile to one another. And then just like five verses later, he says, you are no longer the strangers and aliens that you once were. Because in Jesus Christ, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Wow. So we established earlier that as humans, we're diametrically opposed to one another because of our sinful nature from birth. Because of this, our proclivity is to move towards one another hostily. Not in peace, but in conflict. And and not good conflict. I'm talking about sinful conflict here. And this is a hard truth, but but, but think about, I, I want to turn this on you just for a second. We all know this on some level, don't we? We look online and we make judgments about what people post on social media and how much we disagree with them. How their life couldn't possibly be that good or how their life couldn't possibly be that bad. Or how entitled they come across. Or even in our interpersonal lives, we we can't believe that some people parent their kids the way they do. We make judgments about other people's political and social beliefs and stances. We're constantly outraged by those who believe differently than us. And rather than engage people, we attack their character, privately and publicly. There's also that person here at church or in your community group who constantly rubs you the wrong way. You talk behind their back, you make judgments about them internally, or you move towards them passive-aggressively. Maybe your relationship with your spouse has gotten so contentious that you can hardly be in the same room with them. You see, we are not at peace with one another. And if godly peace is wholeness and flourishing for the glory of God, our natural proclivity is almost Rarely peaceful. And I do think that the heart of this, as I looked at my own heart, because I am right smack in the middle of all of those things I just said. It's a self-centeredness, I think, is what it is. When we pass judgment on others in our community for their lives, their beliefs, their personalities, or their place in the world, what we're doing is we're, we're pitting ourselves against one another. 
in this kind of um, unfair way to one another. We put ourselves above them or, or, or below them. And either way, if we put ourselves above or below, it's both very self-serving and centered, if you think about it. But what I love about um, these verses is that those kind of things that I said, that I were kind of all there, these verses say that through the cross, that dividing wall has been broken. That through the grace of Jesus Christ, those differences, uh, the things that we are, are self-centered about, that we project on other people that causes distance, is broken in Jesus. The cross, the grace of Jesus Christ breaks it and instead unites us together in this beautiful picture of a family and a community that we have here together. You see... Passing the peace is so important because it recognizes all of us are in the same boat. Everything is true about us. Two things. You ready? One, every single one of us are sinful and we're prone to the self-centeredness and passing judgment on one another that I talked about. But the second thing that's true of all of us is that through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are all united together. Both those two things are true of all of us. One of them will cause disunity, but one will bring wholeness and goodness and shalom in our congregation. So this is why we pass the peace. It's because we want to be people who remind one another of that. And I I just want to say, I know that this is an awkward thing, this idea of uh, breaking the service and then telling one another to have peace or to say peace of Christ or God's peace. It's a weird thing. I get it. So because of that, I'm going um, to read us a few real headlines that underscores how hard this is. You ready? Church's haunted house is just two hours of greeting time. See that? Many evangelical uh, churches put on this hell house attractions, attempting to use the imagery of Halloween to scare children into the kingdom, just like the Bible tells us to do. One local church took things too far. They put on a spooky haunted house that was just two hours of church small talk. Let's do another one. Uh, Introvert puts on mysterious ring of power to escape detection during church greeting time. There's some Lord of the Rings humor for you. How about the next one? Um... Man stands perfectly still during church greeting time in an attempt to avoid detection. This is the idea that this guy, uh, he just stood perfectly still to avoid detection from other parishioners. They say in the article that people came up to him and, and talked to him and he just acted like he couldn't see them. He didn't breathe, blink, or move. They eventually lost interest and just wandered away. These are uh, Babylon Bee articles. That's a, that's a satire site. They are real headlines, though. They're just satire. Um, but I get it, uh, especially if you're more introverted um, or if you're more socially uh, awkward, uh, as some of us are in this room. It can feel like a, a, a time of small talk. It can feel like a time that's not worth it. It can feel like a time that my best friend in the whole world, whenever he comes and visits, last time he, like, he literally yelled at me. He was like, why do y'all do that time? I'm so uncomfortable. 
He was like, it's a perfect time for people to ask me weird questions and see where I am spiritually. But I really think, um, and this is what I really want to encourage us in today, is that um, it's not a meet and greet time. Yes, it's a time for us to see people we know and to meet new people. But it's called the passing of the peace because it's so important that all of us as a congregation name together that we believe that the dividing wall of hostility between us has been broken and that we can be at peace with one another. We are doing something so important when we say God's peace to one another because we're reminding each other that no matter how different we are, how broken we are, how sinful we are, that we can have peace together through the cross of Jesus Christ. That means that those people this morning that you are in conflict with, that rub you the wrong way, that believe differently than you, we can have peace together in Jesus. Because if God can forgive us of our proclivity to rebel against Him and move towards Him in conflict, we can forgive one another for our proclivity to move towards one another hostily. For the walls of that dividing hostility were broken in His flesh. Passing the peace each week is a bold declaration that we have decided that peace will rule the day in our congregation. Have you thought about that? It is a bold declaration that we say that we are all equal here in God's peace with one another in community. That is a gift to us and to one another. It is a choice to unite, and not for the sake of unity alone, but for the sake of Jesus Christ himself, who unites us in his perfect peace. And this brings us to our final point. So we've seen that we must embrace godly peace, and we only do that because uh, Christ reconciles us to God. He reconciles us to one another. And finally, we're going to see because Christ reconciles us to the world. Um, Verses 19 through 22 say this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, Paul here gives us the key to understand what our role is in the world. And and I think about this often. Are we supposed to be hostile to the world? Are we supposed to be critiquing of the world? Are we supposed to um, disengage from the world? Are we supposed to become very like the world? Are we supposed to move into the world? What is our posture as Christians to the world? And this is a huge question. um, One that... We actually, I feel like we try and talk a lot about at Hope Chapel. But I think verse 22 shows us what our posture is supposed to be in the world. It says this, In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That verse reminds us that the trajectory of the story of the gospel is God once again dwelling with us as his people. But that means that he's going to dwell with us here one day. 
that he's going to return. And then the new heavens and the new earth, he is going to restore all that is broken. All that sin came to disrupt and break. Jesus is going to return one day and restore it all to be good. And he is going to dwell with us. The trajectory of the biblical story is God once again dwelling with his people that he has brought together in his perfect peace. So what does that mean about our posture to the world? Well, it means that the flourishing and the wholeness is not just for us, but it's for all of creation. And that means he's going to make it whole again. And that means that in the meantime, we as his people can be peacemakers in the world. We can bring the wholeness and the goodness of the gospel into the world itself. We are reconciled to the world in the the idea that as God's people, we go out into the world. Sometimes it will look like we need to stand up to the world and critique it. Sometimes it means that we are going to have to pull back and disengage from the world. Sometimes it means we're going to have to engage in the world culturally, socially, and spiritually. Sometimes it means that we're going to have to make a stand for Christ. But the purpose of doing all of those things is to bring God's peace to the world. It's to bring his wholeness and his goodness to a world that's desperately looking for it. That is our role in the world, is to be God's peacemakers for the sake of the gospel. Think about it this way. The world knows something's wrong with it. The world knows that it's not whole. They know that they need something. And it's only the gospel that will make it them whole. And it is our call as Christians, as God's people, to bring that peace and shalom to the world. And this has uh, a myriad of applications. It could look like evangelism. It could look like promoting social and biblical reform. It could look like advocating for the oppressed and marginalized in our society. It could look like raising your children in a godly household. It could look like being faithful in the ordinary and mundane aspects of your jobs. But a major part of our calling as Christians is to be agents of peace in a world that's desperately looking and needing the gospel. We can be those peacemakers that the world is looking for through the reconciliation of the cross of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of God the Father. That is our call. Um, when the truce of Christmas 1914, 16 happened, um, by the way, you can look up, if you Google that today, um, in English, it was actually an ad, but it was so well done, um, like a three-minute ad depicting this truce is on YouTube. Uh, and it's beautiful. Like, you should watch, it, like, makes me cry. Y'all should go watch it. Um, but uh, even when those first six months of war, hundreds of thousands of soldiers had already died. I looked up the, the, the count, I think, from World War I itself, was 40 million people died as a result of the war. Um, you see, those soldiers went back and they, they fought again with each other. And that peace between them didn't last. And if we're honest, it can feel sometimes like the peace between us and God and the peace between one another. And even our role in the world is not going to last. And part of that's true. 
Because we're, in a way, going to be at a war with ourselves and our own sinfulness and our own brokenness until Jesus returns. But our hope is that we can, in some way, experience God's peace today. Where they went back to fighting, we don't have to. The cross of Jesus Christ still stands. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is still true. And the power of sin has been broken both in us and in the way we move towards one another. So will we, this week, this month, and for years to come, embrace that peace? That is my hope for us. And as we go into this city, declaring the truth of the gospel, that we can be agents of peace and peacemakers in this city. Amen.